0: Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. So the scripture that we're going to be based off of, uh, our foundational scripture for today is going to be from Uh, Romans 12, verse 1. It's a very familiar scripture to most people in the body of Christ. And I want to let you know, I'm not going to do a big exegetical breakdown of Romans 12, verse 1. It's really going to be more of a foundational guiding scripture for this message. Amen? Okay, so let's read it together. Romans 12, verse 1. Here we go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I think that this scripture is short enough to where we can read it again. Is that all right? Let's do it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? As As a what? As a what? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Which is your what? Spiritual worship. The title of my message today is The Problem with Worship. Oh, oh, the Problem with Worship. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. We, have we have a problem. Look at your other neighbor and say, uh, Houston, Houston, we have a problem. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people. Father God, you know that I've been carrying the weight of this word for a while now. I'm asking in the name of Jesus that that which you've revealed to me, that you would help me reveal to your people. Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would use these lips of clay to declare the word of the Lord in this hour. And, Father God, where where my teaching falls short, where my preaching falls short, I pray that the spirit of revelation would open up the eyes of your people to understand that what you are saying to the body of Christ in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay. All right. So... First I want to say this, this word is for you but this word is not just for you, okay? So this word that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart, yes, it's for legacy Nashville, but I believe that it's for the the body of Christ at large too. So essentially what that means, and, and this is actually a really important thing to learn and to understand about when a word is released in the house. The word is not just released so that you can hide it in your heart. The word is released so that the word can go into your heart, it can germinate, and then that word can come forth as fruit in the world. Does that make sense? And so that's what I'm asking today is even as the word is going forth, that, yeah, you accept the word for yourself, but also that you ask the Holy Spirit, now, Holy Spirit, how do I go? And I take this word to the world. Okay? So the way, like, uh, the way I feel led to approach our exploration of worship today is first by addressing some problems that I'm seeing as it pertains to worship in the body of Christ. Some problems that I see with worship in the modern church that are, are, are very, honestly, worrisome to me. Okay? And then I want to offer a solution. I want to offer a solution that I believe is going to help reorient and get us back on track. Okay? Does that sound good? Yeah. Church, we got a problem. We have a problem. The problem is that worship in the modern church, and when I say the modern church, I mean the 16th century to present, has become convoluted. And by convoluted, I mean that it's become twisted in a way that's caused great confusion to the body of Christ. Okay? And the fruit of this convolution has resulted in the erection of the idol of worship in the modern church. Okay, I'm going I'm to I'm explain myself. So don't, don't lose me. I don't want to lose you just yet. Stay with me, okay? So let me say that one more time. Worship in the modern church has become convoluted, and the fruit of that convolution is the erection of the idol of worship in the modern church. And so the more that I process this, this problem out with the Lord, the more convinced I am that the convolution of worship is actually a direct strategy of the enemy to keep the body of Christ in bondage. Because we have to understand that there is a war for worship. The enemy, Satan, is after our worship. Okay. And he will do any and everything that he can to ensure that the purity and the understanding of the people of God's worship is compromised. Anything beginning in the garden, it was all about worship. Why? Because Satan fell from his, when he fell from his position as heaven's lead worshiper, There was a vacuum of worship that was created, and God, in his brilliance, chose to fill that vacuum by creating you and me, creating us to worship him. Our highest call as human beings is to worship. Our highest call. No substitute will ever do. Our highest call is worship. Y'all still with me? Job is the perfect example of the lengths that the enemy will go to to still worship. We got to realize, though, that this is the thing. It wasn't about Job's stuff. It wasn't about his riches. It wasn't about his family. It was about his worship. What did he say? Curse God. He wanted Job's worship. Can I press a little further? The root of the convolution of worship in the modern church has arisen from the idolatry of one of the expressions of worship. Music. Music. Now, I love music probably more than a lot of people in The room. And 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 music is an absolutely positively amazing god-given instrument for the expression of worship. Don't get me wrong. But we have made an idol of music in the church. It's the truth. I'm not even really willing to debate about it, debate about it with anybody. It's the truth. We have made an idol of music in the house of God. We've made it the preeminent and the prominent aspect of worship in the life of the believer, and that's wrong. Okay? Can I press a little further? The subjugation of worship as a time-allotted segment within the context of a Sunday service has trained believers to have an on and an off switch in their worship unto God. And because of that, it's raised up a generation of dependent worshipers who go from one experience to the, other, to the 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 other, looking for a place where they can find that high that they had that one time. And that's wrong. Can I press a little further? I'm about to step on some toes. Get ready. Okay. The creation of worship as a genre of music has caused us to reduce that which is eternal, holy, and unending to a small segment of a large industry. (laughs) So now we consult the masses as it pertains to our worship. When it comes to the creation, you know, we're in these rooms asking the question, so are the people going to like this? Are they going to be able to sing this okay? And those are okay questions. But the problem is, we've stopped asking God what he wants. We've stopped, we've stopped asking God what he wants to hear. Because we're like, no, I just want to create something that the people will like. I just want to create something that the people will be able to sing to. Ugh. Can I press a little further? Yes. All right. The nonchalant nature of worship in the modern church has lent itself to even greater levels of, co- of, of convolution. So we come into his house and we're like, you know, I might lift my hands up today. Or I might give God all of my energy today. Or I might lift my voice up to God today. Acting like we got a choice. (laughs) Acting like we got a choice about it. And then we've doubled down on that as as leaders in the body of Christ by creating phrases like worship in your own way. Or do you know what? Just come as you are. They become hallmark sayings in the church. And guess what? That's wrong. That's wrong. I'm going to say it right now, loud and clearly. That's wrong. You don't get to come into the house of God and worship however you want. Scripture has told us how we are to worship the king and the creator of the earth. We don't get to choose, okay? All right. (laughs) Jesus dealt with this in Matthew 21. The triumphant entry. Jesus rides in on a donkey. People are crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus makes his way to the outer courts of the temple, which is a holy place. And what does Jesus see? Jesus sees money changers counting their cash. He sees merchants extorting people for sacrifices. And what does Jesus do? In his anger, he turns up the tables and says, get on out of here. My house shall be called... A house of prayer. I believe by the spirit of God that a divine turning of tables is getting ready to happen in the body of Christ. And I feel like it's my job today to get Legacy Nashville ready for the turn up. So why are these problems concerning worship important for us to discuss? Because if our approach to worship is wrong, every outworking of our faith as believers will be wrong. It'll all be wrong. Our whole point of view will be wrong. We'll approach God wrong. Because there is an approach to the king of the earth. There is a way to approach a king. You can't just approach a king any way that you want. No, 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 no. You approach a king in the wrong way, you're liable to get your head cut off. I fear that in our understanding and in in the outworking of worship in our generation that we are heading in the wrong direction. And we need a restoration of the biblical foundation of what worship is. So that's what I want to take us through today, okay? I believe that the solution to the problem that we are facing is that we return to the biblical foundations of worship and I believe that those biblical foundations of worship are outlined through the tabernacle of Moses, found in Exodus 25 to 40. You can go read it all by yourself. You should go read it all by yourself. And ask the Holy Spirit this morning to inform us on how, this, on how the tabernacle of Moses can inform our worship today. Amen? Amen. Here's the thing about the tabernacle of Moses that we're getting ready to, that we're getting ready to explore. Okay, this is me switching into teaching mode. Is that all right? Stay with me. Don't, 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 lo- don't, don't, don't let me uh, lose you on this, okay? Is that all right? Stick with me. The Lord is going to teach us something in this next moment, all right? He's taught me. This has been a revelation in my heart, okay, over the last month or two of studying this. This has been a revelation in my heart, and I believe that it's going to be a blessing to the body of Christ today. So stick with me in this, all right? Here's the thing about the tabernacle of Moses. Every single aspect that we're getting ready to, dis- to explore was designed to teach us about the protocol for worshiping the king of kings. Okay? Zach Nies in his book, How to Worship a King, he, he calls the tabernacle of Moses a-, a shadow or a model of heavenly worship. One of the things that, one of the indictments that I can make upon myself and upon the church is that sometimes I think that I can create the rules of worship. Or I think that I get to dictate and decide how worship, the outwork of worship. But that's not true. It's not true. Okay? And you know what? <clears throat> I feel freedom in this moment. I'm not even going to lie. I do. Because sometimes in church, we just need to tell people, you're wrong. And the way that you're doing this is wrong. Okay? And I'm not gonna debate about you about it. Debate with you about it. Okay? Because what the Bible says is not what you're doing. So therefore, it's wrong. It's wrong. And I'm not gonna I, I'm not going I'm not gonna argue with you about it. Because it's wrong. Because what you're doing is not what the Bible said to do, so it's wrong. Okay? And if your life ain't lining up with what it says, then you're wrong. Okay? You're wrong. I feel so much freedom, my God. Woo! My God, you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. sorry, guys. I I felt freedom for a second right there. My God, help me. Todd, help me, bro. Help me, bro. Sheesh. Let me get back. Let me get back. Help me, Jesus. Every aspect of the tabernacle of Moses was designed to teach us about the protocol for worship, for heavenly worship, okay? So here's a couple things to know. Here's a couple things to note about the tabernacle of Moses, okay? The tabernacle was constructed by the Israelites as they were wandering through the desert. The Lord said to Moses, I want a place that I can meet with you. And so he gave Moses the instructions for the tabernacle. Now look, look at this. The tabernacle was situated in the middle of the Israelite camp. So if you were to draw a picture of the tabernacle with the tribes around it, the picture that you would actually get is the picture of a cross. So God instructed the Israelite camp to camp around his prescribed meeting place in the shape of a cross. This was a prophetic symbol of the fact that there was a day that was coming when you would no longer gather in worship at the tabernacle. You would gather in worship around the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay. This is what we're working with, y'all. This is what we're working with. Now, there's three distinct areas. These are the same thing, just different ways, okay? I know you think you can see it up there too. I'm teaching now, okay? I'm teaching now. Sorry, I moved it up. So there's three distinct areas in the tabernacle. The first area is the outer court. Everybody say outer court. Now, the outer courts were where the main activities of the tabernacle would take place. Anybody was allowed in the outer courts. Even Gentiles were allowed. They would actually call it the court of the Gentiles. Because Gentiles were allowed to roam about. It wasn't just a place segregated for Jews. Amen? Are we on the same page? This area was filled with the the aroma of of animals, of blood, and of burned flesh. Animals, blood, and burned flesh. Flesh. In the outer court, you would see two distinct pieces of furniture that a lot of activity would happen around. The first is the altar of sacrifice. Everybody say altar of sacrifice. Altar of sacrifice. And then the brazen laver. Everybody say brazen laver. And you would have the priests moving among the people in the outer courts. They would be inspecting offerings. They would be washing themselves, and they would be performing sacrifices. The outer courts was designated for ministry to man. Okay? So then we move on into the holy place. This is what we love to sing about. The holy place. And it's good to sing about this. We should sing about this place. This is the holy place, and only priests were permitted to go into the holy place. Think about that. Only priests were allowed in this place. The common worshiper was not allowed in here. You were forbidden to go into this place, so much so they would have guards. They would have doorkeepers. They would have doorkeepers who would stand outside of the gate to ensure that only the priests could enter, right? And this area was, it was a dark and secluded, quiet place. It was a place of intimacy. This area of the tabernacle was filled with the aroma of fresh bread, uh, of wine and oil and, 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 and incense. There was three distinct things that you would see in this place. You would see the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. The only light. That would emanate in this place was the light that would come from the golden lampstand the holy place was designed for ministry to god everybody say "Ministry ministry to god are we together let's keep going and then we go into the holy of holies now the holy of holies was separated by a thick veil And this veil signified the separation between God and man as a result of sin. And this veil, this place housed the Ark of the Covenant. And this place was only to be visited, the Holy of Holies was only to be visited one time a year. On the Day of Atonement by the High Priest. One man, one day, one moment one man one day one moment so now that we've explored the three different areas of the tabernacle of Moses let's go ahead and let's go ahead and dive into the essential elements that are going to inform us and teach us about what heavenly worship looks like you good with that now as we go on this exploration journey i want i want you to do something for me i want you to put on your imagination glasses okay I want you to put on your imagination glasses and act as if, uh, think about, uh, imagine yourself as an Israelite worshiper going into the temple. Okay? So that's how we're going to approach this. Is that okay? Does that sound good? Everybody got there? Just do it with me. Go put those imagination glasses on just like that. Put your imagination glasses on. Oh, there we are. It's like those. What do they call those? VR? Yeah. Put your VR glasses on. Here we are in the tabernacle of, outside the gate of the tabernacle of Moses. Just a reminder as we go into this, every element of the tabernacle speaks. It's all speaking to us. All of it is teaching us the protocol and the procession of heavenly worship, okay? So as we enter through the gate of the tabernacle, and how, how does Scripture tell us we are to enter the gate? With thanksgiving. We make our way into the outer courts. How does, how does Scripture tell us that we're supposed to enter the courts of the Lord? With praise. So we're entering the gate with thanksgiving, into the courts with praise, right? And we have an animal sacrifice that we have brought with us because we never come to worship empty handed. We never come to worship empty handed, and that stands true today. The first thing that we see as we begin our procession of worship is the altar. sacrifice. The altar of sacrifice. Exodus 27 verse 1 and 2, it gives us an in-depth look at the construction of the altar of sacrifice, but here are just a few highlights of it. It stands about five to six feet tall and it is made of acacia wood. It's not made of oak and it's not made of cedar. It had to be acacia wood because acacia wood does not easily rot. This was a signification of the purity of soul or the incorruptible humanity. But overlaid, overlaying the acacia wood was bronze. Everybody say bronze. Bronze was a signification of judgment. Of judgment. Okay? And then the altar of sacrifice had four horns, one on each corner. Of the, of the altar, signifying the mercy of God, the mercy of God. So to recap, we're bringing the sacrifice for our sins, an animal, to the pure altar of sacrifice to receive mercy for the judgment that we rightfully deserve. Are y'all with me? We tracking together. But wait, 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 wait. Before our animal sacrifice could atone for our sins, it had to be inspected. It had to be inspected by the presiding priest. Why? Because any animal with a blemish would not be accepted. In other words, you had to bring your best offering. How often do we come into God's house bringing our leftover offering? Bringing our leftovers from the week, bringing our leftover attention, bringing our leftover adoration, bringing our leftover everything. We just think, God, I'm here. You should be happy. No. The king of kings is deserving of our best offering. Amen? So once it was inspected and deemed an acceptable sacrifice, we would then tie our animal, to, our animal to the horns of the altar. We would place our hands on the animal's head, and we would pronounce our sins over the animal. At that point, the priest would then, y'all are going to love this, he would slip the animal's throat, spill its blood at the foot of the altar, and burn his body on the altar. Hallelujah. <laughs> Just a reminder to you all, sometimes worship can be a little bit messy. So, don't be judging people who are at the altar, laying their soul before the Lord in worship, and it looks a little bit messy. You don't know what type of sacrifice they're bringing. In fact, I got to tell this story. I don't even have too much time, but I got to tell this story. This morning, as we were worshiping, I saw Danielo. Come to, the, come to the front, and he took his shoes off, and he got ready to worship, and Daniello was laying his soul out before the Lord. But this is what I know, he was praising God. He, he was singing the first song with all his might. I mean, he didn't even sound that good, but that's okay. I'm just kidding, Danielo. I don't know where you're at. I'm just kidding, you sounded beautiful to the Lord. But anyways, <laughs> I'm just kidding, bro, you need to keep seeing. He was screaming it out. He said, with all that I've got, I'm gonna praise the Lord. I had a conversation with Daniello this morning and he was telling me about the fact that in the span of two weeks his car got his one of his cars got stolen and then the other one broke down and yet somehow some way Daniello finds it in himself to come to the altar and to lay a sacrifice before the Lord I'm gonna keep going because I don't have a lot of time okay so the first step of worship in the tabernacle has been completed—the altar of sacrifice—and we got to realize that worship does not that does not begin with sacrifice is not true worship. It's got to begin with sacrifice. What offering are you bringing to the Lord? Next, we move to the brazen laver. Now it looks like a cup, but it's much bigger. It's almost like a bird bath. Okay, and so Exodus uh, Exodus thirty verse seventeen to twenty one. It tells us that the brazen laver was made of bronze, judgment. Someone say, judgment. judgment. And it was designated for the priest to use for the washing of hands and their feet. So they've been sacrificing and they're dirty. So they come to the brazen laver and they wash their hands and feet before entering the tabernacle or approaching the altar. This was a place of purification. This was a place that you come and that you wash your hands and, what, and you wash your feet. Psalm 24, uh, before they go into the altar, Psalm 24 tells us that uh, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. So the priest would come to the brazen labor and he would wash his hands and he would wash his feet before entering into the presence of the Lord. Before entering into the holy place. And the the symbol of the water here is actually of the word. It's of the washing of the word. How many of you know that the word of God is important in the procession of worship? Sometimes like this is the thing that I've noticed is that we turn off our worship switch whenever the pastor gets up to preach. But the word is important in the procession of worship that we are supposed to adhere to. Let's keep going. So that, 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 completes, that completes the worship of the outer courts. Are you ready to keep going? And so far we've seen two important aspects of worship. We've seen submission and we've seen sacrifice. Everybody say it with me. Say submission, submission. and sacrifice. Okay, so now things are, are going to get significantly more serious as the priest, as our lovely priest makes his way into the holy place. So just a reminder, this holy place is a quiet, dark, and secluded place. We're stepping into a place of intimacy here and into a place of adoration. The focus is no longer on the people, the focus is on the King of Kings, okay? So when he enters, he looks to his right and the first thing that he sees is the table of showbread say table of, table of showbread. Now the table of showbread is a table that is, that is made of acacia wood and it's overlaid with gold, not bronze, because judgment is in the outer courts. When we come into the holy place, it's all about his majesty. It's all about his majesty. On top of the table, there's two golden plates and 12 loaves of bread that signified, that had two meanings. First, it signified the 12 tribes of Israel, but it also signified because these loaves of bread were pierced in the middle, it represented Jesus as the bread of life, <laughs> broken and pierced for the sins of the world, Amen. And then there were two cups and in, in a container of wine, which were to be poured out at the, altar of, at the foot of the altar of incense, signifying the blood of Jesus poured out for us. This was a place of communion. And then he looks to his left, and what he sees is the golden lampstand. The golden lampstand is the only light that is emanating within the holy place, Okay. And again, it's made of pure gold. The lamps were to be kept burning day and night, night and day, signifying the perpetual presence of God and the requirement for the priests to maintain holiness yes, yes. and dedication in their service unto the Lord. Somebody said holiness. holiness. Somebody say holiness. holiness. Holiness is still a requirement. Holiness is still a requirement. We're not allowed to live our lives the way that we want to live our lives. There is a way that God has prescribed for us as priests. Pastor Lyle talked about it last week. We are priests. There's a way that God has outlined for us to live our lives. After spending some time adoring the Lord at the golden lampstand, the priest has the privilege that day of being the one selected to burn incense to the Lord at the altar of incense. The altar of incense is a four-square box, again, made of acacia wood and covered with golds, with four horns on it. And the altar of incense was, was a representation of the burning, passionate prayers of the people of God. How many of you know that prayer is an integral aspect of the procession of worship? It's an integral aspect. It was the place where God would talk to his priests as they were burning incense to him. It would come up as a sweet aroma and out of that he would respond to them. He would respond to them and he would give them instruction on, for, for the people of Israel. Special incense was, well, a special mixture of incense was burned here at the altar twice in the, twice in the morning and twice at night. You know that song that we sing day and night, night and day. Let incense rise. This is what they're talking about right here. This is what they're talking about right here. The altar of incense. And, and, and guess what? Our lives are the altar of incense. Our lives are the sweet aroma that we, get to, uh, that we get to bring before him. Our prayers are that we get to bring before him. Burning incense here was, was also a dangerous job. Because if you didn't follow the prescribed way that God desired for you to burn incense, you die. <laughs> Straight up, flat out. Leviticus 10, verse 1 through 3, we read about the debts of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, who offered an unauthorized fire before the Lord. The Lord called it, called it strange fire. And the result was them being consumed. By the fire of God. So the altar of incense. Now go with me here. Our priest, after he's finished burning incense at the altar of incense, he sees another procession of priests going by him. And leading this procession is a man in white. And it's the high priest Because it just so happens that today is the day of atonement. It's the day that our high priest gets to push the veil aside and go before the Lord in the form of the Ark of the Covenant and minister on behalf of the nation of Israel. So we have the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the place where the glory of God was housed. This is the place where God would gather himself. This is the place where God would minister to the high priest. Now this box, again, is made of acacia wood and is covered in gold with rings on the side. The reason why there were rings on the side is because the presence of God was only to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. Aren't you grateful that we have been made priests and that we get to be carriers of the presence and the power of God. Amen. Amen. The second reason is because we have a God who's on the move and he expected his people to be able to be on the move with him. The third reason why is because no one was ever able to lay their hands on the ark. Laying hands on God's glory resulted in death, and that stands today. We're not permitted to lay hands on his glory. His glory is his glory, and it stays his glory. And we've got a lot of people in the world right now who are trying to touch his glory. So here, the priests would minister to the Lord on behalf of the nation, offering sacrifices and offering prayers. Now, some of you are like, Brian, why in the world did we just go through that? Brian, what what does that have to do with me? I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that a day of reckoning is quickly coming for the body of Christ. Where God is coming to tear down the idol of worship that we have created. And he is getting ready to reestablish the protocol and the procession of heavenly worship that was outlined in the Old Testament. And then perfected by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. Everything in this procession of worship was pointing to and was foreshadowing the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The work that he would do here on this earth to give us the freedom to worship God. Listen, the sacrifice of his life through the work of the cross, yes, it was about salvation, but it was equally about worship. It was about the restoration of worship and the reestablishment of the people of God as temples and tabernacles of the living God. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 and 17 tells us, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Jesus came to restore worship. Many times we are tempted to relate to the cross as just a place where salvation was received, where salvation was bought. But it's not the full story. It's not the full reward. Jesus came to redeem us and he came to restore worship. This is why the veil of the holies of holies was torn. Because no longer was our access to God inhibited. No longer did we need the blood of an animal to pay the price for our sin. No longer did we need a priest or a high priest to go before us. We all have access. We all have access to the procession of worship, and it begins with our lives. It begins with us laying down our lives, submitted and in sacrificed in the, to the Lord. The Lamb of God has paid the price. We've all been given access to his presence, to worship him in the heavenly procession of worship, and in response... We get to bring our submitted and sacrifices, lives to Him and adore Him in worship. Let's stand. Holy One, would you reestablish and would you restore worship in our house? Father God, would you turn over the tables of the idol that we've made of worship in the house? Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would restore tabernacle worship in the the name of Jesus. That you would restore us to a place of right worship and right relationship with you. Do it in your church, God. Do it in your church, Father God. We're so sorry for what we've made of worship. We're so sorry, Lord Jesus, that we've made it about music. That we've made it about singing songs God we're sorry Lord we repent on behalf of Legacy Nashville I repent for what we've made of worship I repent in the name of Jesus let the conviction and the fire of God fill our hearts once again I ask in Jesus name now for 30 seconds you have your moment with the Lord you have your moment with the Lord For 30 seconds, just open up your mouth and ask him to reestablish worship in your heart. To reestablish right worship, right relationship with worship in your heart. Come on, for 30 seconds, just lift your voice all across the room. All across the room, just lift your voice. Just lift your voice. Father, we're sorry for what we've made, worship. We're sorry for what we've made, worship. We're coming back to you, Lord Jesus. And we're going to ask your word to inform worship in our lives. We submit our lives before you, God. We submit our lives before you as living sacrifices. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.